Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now. You know by now that an 18-year-old white man went into Topps Supermarket in a predominantly black neighborhood in Buffalo, New York, last Saturday, and shot and killed 10 black people. He wore body armor and a military-grade helmet, he carried a modified rifle, and he had a head-mounted camera in order to livestream his attack on Twitch, an online live-streaming service. According to a law enforcement source, the shooter yelled racial slurs during the incident. The shooter published a 180-page manifesto prior to the attack, describing himself as a white supremacist and stating that white people have been subject to a genocide and are being replaced by people of color. In total, 13 people were shot, 11 of them were black. The 10 who died were all black men and women, ranging in ages from 20 to 86. The shooter was not himself a resident of Buffalo, but he traveled 200 miles, targeting the black community in the Kingsley neighborhood on the eastern side of the city. Tops is located in a lively part of town on a strip with barbershops, the library, radio stations, and cigar shops. The Tops grocery store was built just in 2003, but before that, residents say they lived in a food desert with no nearby supermarket options. Neighbors say they fought for decades to get a full grocery store in their community. Community, and Tops was finally opened 19 years ago. I share that because on episode 84 of All Things, I just talked about food insecurity and food deserts in the United States. This neighborhood is now once again a food desert because of this horrific act of violence. Residents say Tops was a place of gathering and community. People went there for meetups and to pay their bills. It's a loss physically, but also emotionally and relationally and so much more. There is a food bank in the community trying to meet the needs of the residents, and I will link that in my show notes so that you can donate there if you feel led. I want to take a minute now to honor the lives of those who were murdered on Saturday. They are precious individuals made in God's image and irreplaceable souls. Their families and community have suffered unimaginable loss at the hands of this evil. There was Ruth who was on her way from visiting her husband in a nursing home. Aaron was the beloved Topps friendly market supermarket security guard, and he leaves behind three children. There was Pearl, who's a mother, grandmother, and church member who regularly fed those in need in the city's Central Park neighborhood. Roberta was in Buffalo, helping her brother recover from a bone marrow transplant. There was Celestine, a breast cancer survivor with seven grandkids. Hayward was a deacon at his church, known for giving people rides to Top Supermarket and helping them with their groceries. There was Andre. He was at Top Supermarket buying a birthday cake for his son's third birthday. Kat was an advocate for civil rights and education in her community. Geraldine was a beloved mother who leaves behind two adult children. And lastly, Margus, father of three. As our nation seeks to process this tragedy and make sense of yet another mass shooting, we can turn to the shooter's manifesto, which clearly states his reasons for murdering 10 innocent black grocery shoppers. It's a 180-page document and was posted to Google Docs on May 12th, two days before the attack. Law enforcement are examining it as well as his 673-page online diary. According to analysis, almost two-thirds of the manifesto is plagiarized from a manifesto left by the Australian 
Brazilian man who went on a shooting spree and killed more than 50 Muslims as they prayed in two different mosques in Christ Church, New Zealand in 2019. The manifesto expresses support for other far-right mass shooters as well. The manifesto makes clear that the gunmen began to subscribe to the Great Replacement Conspiracy Theory starting back in May 2020. The theory claims that there is an organized movement of elites and Jews who advance non-white immigration, and that in combination with this and the reduced white birth rates, they seek to overwhelm and replace the white population in Europe and the United States. The manifesto says the Buffalo Rampage was intended to terrorize all non-white, non-Christian people and get them to leave the country. The Great Replacement Conspiracy Theory may be new to you. I admit, I don't recall knowing about it specifically until this week. So I began this week to read as much as I could about it and seek to understand what it is and how long it's been around. So the Great Replacement Theory has its roots in early 20th century French nationalism, but the French philosopher and writer Renaud Camus coined the term Great Replacement in his 2011 book by the same name. Since then, he has become one of the greatest influencers of the European New Right. According to researchers in the London-based Institute for Strategic Dialogue, ISD, and I'm quoting here, proponents of the so-called Great Replacement Theory argue that white European populations are being deliberately replaced at an ethnic and cultural level through migration and the growth of minority communities. The ISD conducted a study where they set out to better understand what motivated the Christchurch mass shooter. They wanted to explore the Great Replacement Theory and other white genocide theories to understand, quote, the dynamics and platforms which have allowed the ideas to spread. The report found these ideologies were once largely unknown and obscure, but over the last decade or so, they've been promoted so effectively by the far right that they have become ingrained and normalized in our political discourse and national conversations about population and immigration. So looking at both the United States and Europe, the report found, and I'm quoting here, the volume of tweets steadily increased in the seven years leading up to the Christchurch attack, with the number of tweets mentioning the theory nearly tripling in the four years, from just over 120,000 in 2014 to just over 330,000 in 2018. Quoting from the report again, the researchers found that politicians and political commentators have been key in mainstreaming the Great Replacement narrative by making explicit and implicit references to the conspiracy theory in their speeches, social media posts, and policies. So let's look at other shootings that have been motivated by the Great Replacement Theory. It has actually motivated a number of recent mass shootings. First, there was the white supremacist who who was convicted for the Charleston, South Carolina church shooting in June 2015. You may remember that during a Bible study at Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church, he killed nine people, all black Americans, and injured one other. There was the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting in 2018, where a white man with a history of anti-Semitic internet posts gunned down 11 worshipers at the Tree of Life congregation, blaming Jews for allowing immigrant invaders into the United States. The year after that, in 2019, another white man, angry over what he called the Hispanic invasion of Texas, opened fire on shoppers at that El Paso Walmart 
leaving 23 people dead, and later telling the police he had sought to kill Mexicans. And of course, there's the aforementioned 51 Muslims who were murdered also in 2019 in Christ Church. Let's not forget, too, the 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, that erupted in violence. While this was not a mass shooting, it is another example of recent violence, a recent violent event motivated by the Great Replacement Theory. There, white supremacists donning white polos and khaki pants and carrying tiki torches chanted, Jews will not replace us. One man rammed his vehicle into counter-protesters, killing one woman and injuring 35 more. So let's return to the findings of that London-based Institute for Strategic Dialogue and see how the data says that the Great Replacement Conspiracy Theory and other white genocide theories are increasingly common online. I think that that reality is sort of intuitive for all of us. I think we do have a basic awareness that online communities can be a dangerous place where misinformation can spread and the average disgruntled or even bored citizen can become radicalized. So the Buffalo shooter says he was initially just bored back in the spring of 2020, but he began to spend more time online playing video games and getting information from alt-right platforms. He started to read about and believe these white genocide ideas. Now, let me be clear. I'm not blaming anyone but the shooter himself for the murders in Buffalo. He is an 18-year-old adult, and he premeditated and carried out the mass shooting alone. But I do think it's the responsibility of concerned Americans who want to see liberty and justice for all to pay attention here. The data shows these ideas are increasingly mainstream. So who's doing that? Who is normalizing the idea that white people are being intentionally replaced by black and brown populations and immigrants? Who's propagating this rhetoric that is clearly inflammatory and has ultimately resulted in at least a handful of mass shootings. Well, before we get to an answer to those questions, I do want to point you to some truths about the American population that these theories speak to. So here's what's projected for our population over the next several decades. The nation will become minority white in 2045. During that year, so 2045, whites will comprise 49.7% of the population, in contrast to 24.6% for Hispanics, 13.1% for Blacks, 7.9% for Asians, and 3.8% for multiracial populations. Now, this shift is going to happen because of two trends. First, between 2018 and 2060, the combined racial minority populations are going to grow by 74%. Meanwhile, second, the aging white population is going to grow until 2024, but then it's going to decline through 2060, meaning there's going to be more white deaths due to age than there are going to be births. Among the minority populations, growth is projected to be the greatest for multiracial populations first, then Asians and Hispanics, and lastly, for Black Americans. Population growth for all groups is going to be a mixture of growth through birth as well as immigration. 
So I know that this conversation is multi-layered and complex. We would have to record several All Things episodes to really drill down into the great replacement theory. So I want to acknowledge right now that there is a spectrum of conspiracy theories here. Not everyone who's concerned about immigration and population change is a white supremacist. And not everyone who's a white supremacist is a mass shooter. In fact, the label white supremacist has lost some meaning and strength over the last few years as it's been overused and over-attributed to people and populations who don't necessarily deserve that label. But here is what is true. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, here is what is not debatable. As a nation, the United States we have a history rife with racism. Race-based chattel slavery and violence is in our blood. Jim Crow and institutionalized racism are part of our story. And we have not done well as a nation reckoning with our past. And that continues to spill over into our present. So racism and xenophobia remain amongst us. So when mass shootings are perpetuated against the very population that was formerly formerly enslaved amongst us, it ought to startle us. It ought to be very disturbing and compel us to stop what we're doing, reflect, and take action. As a nation formed by immigrants, when xenophobia rages and anti-immigration rhetoric increases, we also ought to pause and take action against that. Now, does our immigration policy need reform? Absolutely, yes. But both sides of the aisle can be blamed here as they prefer re-election and political expediency above and beyond actually dealing in a humane and common sense way with our borders. In our political context, finger pointing is preferred and anti-immigrant and anti-refugee rhetoric and sound bites circulate rather than careful conversations about what's really true about immigrants and refugees in the United States. If you feel uneducated about who immigrants and refugees really are here in the U.S., maybe about what legal processes they go through to legally cross our borders, as well as what both legal and undocumented migrants are like, what they do once they get here, I'd invite you to listen to episodes 57 and 52 of All Things, which are about refugees and immigrants, respectively. I'd also point you to World Relief, a nonprofit which is doing excellent work in the U.S. amongst migrants and helping both politicians and citizens like you and me understand the asset and the benefit by far that most immigrants are. So again, it's true that the Buffalo shooter is responsible for himself. No one made him commit that heinous act on Saturday. But it's also true that rhetoric relating to the replacement theory is on the rise. And it's increasingly present in conversations that are not on the fringe. According to a public religion research institute, American Values Survey, taken in 2021, these two statistics I want you to hear. 18% of Americans agree with this statement. Because things have gotten so far off track, true American patriots may have to resort to violence in order to save our country. Okay, so 18% of us think that. According to the same survey, 26% of white evangelical Protestants agree that true American patriots might have to resort to violence in order to save our country. So these stats really concern me. 
Now, I know that not everyone who claims to be an evangelical Christian is in fact a Christian. I am well aware that many more people claim the title than actually follow Jesus Christ. But this is my population these numbers are talking about. I'm a white evangelical, and I am part of a white evangelical church in a largely white community. So it feels important to me that I pay attention when mass shootings like this happen and my own people group at the same time is saying that violence might be necessary to, quote, save our country. So my question for my Christian listeners is this, what voices are you listening to? Who is discipling you? What politicians or commentators or pastors are shaping how you feel about non-white people in our country? If those voices increasingly cause you anger or fear, then I want to encourage you to reject them. Let's talk about those politicians and those commentators. President Trump made immigration the foundation of his 2016 presidential campaign. He ran on the promise of building a wall and protecting Americans and keeping foreigners out. Now, he's certainly not the only politician who has recently exploited the emotions, anger, or fear that many Americans have surrounding ethnic populations. Rather than being a voice of peace and reason, though, President Trump stoked fear. And fear is very effective in garnering followers. Fear will get you elected, and it will get you ratings. Several Republican politicians, such as Representative Matt Goetz of Florida, Representative Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, former Representative Michelle Bachman of Minnesota, and Representative Elise Stefanik of New York, have also openly voiced support of some version of the replacement conspiracy theory. Wyoming Congressman Liz Cheney said this week, the House GOP leadership has enabled white nationalism, white supremacy, and anti-Semitism. History has taught us that what begins with words ends in far worse. GOP leaders must renounce and reject these views and those who hold them. And I think she's right. But again, fear is fast. Fear wins votes. Fear wins ratings. Fox commentator Tucker Carlson has built a huge following, largely by stoking the fears of his audience. While Carlson has never promoted the Great Replacement Theory per se, a recent New York Times investigation shows that in more than 400 episodes of his show, he has amplified the idea that Democratic politicians and other elites want to force demographic change through immigration. In other words, he regularly repeats the narrative that there is an organized effort by the political elite to replace the white population through immigration. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's a New York Times investigation, and they're on the left, so those numbers can't be trusted. But I'm telling you, you only have to tune in to Tucker Carlson for five minutes to see that he purposefully incites fear. Carlson averaged the largest total audience on cable news last year. Fear is attractive. People are drawn to it. His audience is large because he exploits fear. And the more afraid or angry his audience becomes, the more they tune in. I'll say it again. Immigration reform is needed, but this is not the way. Inciting fear in people rather than demanding our leaders to come to the table and create meaningful legislation is a cop-out. It's elevating your show and your ratings or your election above the well-being of our nation. It's selfish and it's exploitive. 
we all watched as fear increased amongst us in real time in 2020 and 2021. People became afraid of one another. You saw it. I saw it. We increasingly retreated to our own corners and villainized the other side. And I know this happens across the board. No ethnicity and no religious group is immune. But I'm talking to white evangelicals right now because I am one and because we are processing the aftermath of another mass shooting by someone who was radicalized by fear. And there is fear amongst us. Evidently, 26% of us are so afraid of the direction our country is headed that we think violence might be necessary. Well, I want to wrap this episode up, so let me make a few conclusions here in closing. First, Christians. Let's be quick to mourn this mass shooting and any other act of violence against any group in the name of race. There is no room for racism amongst us. From the beginning of our scriptures to the end, we see our God's heart for the nations. He made a promise to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. We see in the Great Commission a call to go to the nations. We see in Revelation that heaven will be full of every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping our God. Our God is the creator and savior of many nations. We do not have an option to harbor racism or ill will toward any ethnic group. Our faith just does not allow for it. So when things like this happen, let's be quick to remind ourselves and the watching world of our God who loves all people and he hates racism and murder. Secondly, I want us to be asking ourselves, who are we listening to? Are we enticed by fear? Are we motivated by fear? Because while the Buffalo shooter physically murdered 10 innocent grocery shoppers, Jesus says we are all capable of murder in our hearts. You and I will be guilty before a holy God if we give into the temptation to look down on a specific group, or if we become motivated to marginalize or push out or eliminate a specific people group. We don't have to do the act to be guilty. Jesus says, if you hate your brother in your heart, you're a murderer. Are you allowing voices in your life to cause you to look down on others? Are you bending toward disdain for certain ethnicities? Just as there is no room for racism in Christianity, there's also no room for our hearts to meditate on or our minds to ruminate over fear. You and I can vote and take action and mobilize others for sure. Absolutely be politically active, please, but not out of fear. Let's mobilize because of justice and mercy and seeking what is right and good for all humans. Let's put our hope in the goodness and the virtues that honor our God and show him and his people love. Let's love our neighbors as ourselves. Fear is an evil motive and it leads to dark places. And ultimately, it leads to murder and mass shootings. Instead, as Christians, let us put our hope in our God. Let us derive our strength from him. We do not take comfort in the strength of political power or laws. We seek out good laws and good lawmakers because that is what is right, not because that's where we put our hope and our trust. Regardless of who is in power and the laws of our land, our hope is in our King, who is crucified, rose, and is coming again. Let us not assume that we are above the sway of fear-mongering. Let us not imagine that we could never become radicalized. We could. No one is immune. Let us commit to being discipled by voices who don't peddle fear 
but voices of calm and reason and regard for all kinds of people. If you notice yourself being drawn in by fear, log off the internet, turn the news show off, take a media break. Instead, fix your eyes on Jesus and his eternal strength and power and hide yourself in him. Live for his glory. Love him. Love others. It certainly would be easier to put this mass shooting and other acts of hate like it in a box on the shelf and think that they have nothing to do with us. But let us mourn with those who mourn. Let us be quick to decry racism and let us guard our own hearts and even hold the hearts of others in our communities accountable. Neither fear nor violence, and I mean physical violence and violence in our hearts, are options for the follower of Christ. And lastly, let us pray. Make no mistake, dark spiritual forces are at work here. And our brothers and sisters in Buffalo are grieving. Let us pray against evil and ask the God of all comfort to be near. Thanks for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. So we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now. 